0: So it was my junior year of high school, I went to my friend Dave's house, and me and Dave uh, were pretty close friends, we were really close friends, and we would spend a lot of time together, we would hang out a lot of time on the weekends together, all from junior high up through high school. And this particular day, we were watching a movie at his house, and there were a couple of girls there watching a movie with us. That didn't happen often, but it happened on this day. And when the guys got together and we were watching movies, a lot of times we would crack jokes in the movies, and we would talk during the movies. But this time, Dave did not want that. Dave was trying to impress a girl, and Dave uh, got on to me for talking during the movie. And I knew what Dave was doing. I knew Dave is just trying to impress this girl. So I decided to be a little obstinate. And I kept on talking. Well, you'd be amazed that I keep talking, right? That, that doesn't make, make much sense to you. You don't see me talk that often. Yeah. <laughs> but Dave had it. And so he goes and, and he pounces on top of me. And I don't know if you understand teenage boys, but we like to wrestle a little bit. And so he starts wrestling with me. And sometimes it's fun, and then sometimes you get a little angry during it. And Dave says, if you don't quit talking, I'm going to break your new watch. And you guys don't, if you were born after the 90s, you don't understand how awesome this watch was. But this was a Timex Iron Man Indie Glow. Do y'all even understand IndieGlow technology? Before IndieGlow technology, you just had a little bitty light that shined and you could barely read the, t- the time at night, but with IndieGlow, it just changed the world. And he tried to break my brand new Timex Ironman IndieGlow watch. And that got me angry. And so the wrestling match or the tussle uh, goes from the living room that we're in all the way out of the living room into the bedroom or his his brother's bedroom, which which was just kind of outside the living room. And he was trying to break my watch. And what I did, he Dave was stronger than me, but I was bigger than Dave. And I picked Dave up and I slammed him on his brother's bed, and it snapped the bed in two. At this time, we're both angry. Dave says get out of my house, which I gladly did because I didn't want to be there. I was mad, I was angry. Two weeks went by and I didn't talk to Dave, which we talked almost every weekend. We hung out all the time. And there was a place that we would go and we we used to do this indoor rock climbing in a place in Houston. And I was with some of my friends, and Dave came with some of his other friends, and he he comes up to me, and he apologizes for what he did, and I apologize for what I did, and everything seems good. And then Dave says, but my dad wants you to pay for half the bed. (laughs) All right. I slammed him on the bed in self-defense trying to keep my watch. And Dave's dad doesn't need me to pay for half the bed. Dave's father is an owner of an oil company, literally. He has plenty of cash. He doesn't need me to pay for that bed. It wasn't even a fancy bed. It was a it was a cheap bed like that up there. The anger that I'd been feeling for the last 2 weeks just boils over inside me. I told him I'm not going to do it. I I threw you on that in self-defense. It's your fault. The bed's broken. I didn't talk to Dave for the rest of my junior year. I didn't talk to him my senior year. And to this day, we have never reconciled a very close friendship. I'm not angry to this day. We both went to different colleges. We, both, we live in different states. There's really nothing that, that would, would uh, connect us now. But because of one night, anger destroyed a relationship. And I start thinking, well, who was in the right? Who was in the wrong? Should I have been talking? No, I shouldn't have been talking. I should have been nice and quiet. That's what you're supposed to do in a movie. Should Dave have tried to break my watch? No, that was rude. That, you can't break an Iron Man, Timex, into Glow. Should I have slammed him on the bed? No, but that was the only way in my mind I could get rid of him. Should I have paid for half the bed? Probably so. But he didn't really need me to pay for half the bed, and it was his fault. If I look at it 30 years down the road, which it's been about that, I probably could have solved things a lot easier. But at the time, the anger just overtook me and, and a relationship was destroyed. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 says, You've heard that it is said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Last week, if you were here, you heard we talked about the law and Jesus' role in fulfilling the law. And I also spoke about how we, not, not only Jesus fulfills the law through his death, burial, and resurrection, but we also are called to fulfill the law. And the way we fulfill the law is we understand what the law is all about. And the law is more than just the outward commands, but it's an inward reaction that's happening in our heart. And so what Jesus is going to do in this sermon is he's going to take six of the greatest laws, of the most important laws, laws that we all can understand, all that we, the laws that we all should keep and we know we should keep. And he's going to show us there's something deeper going on in here. And so the first law that he deals with is the law of murder. Most of us in here, I hope, don't struggle with murder, right? Right? This is an easy law for us all to sit in here in agreement that says, okay, we shouldn't murder. Next week is going to be a struggle. It's a law that there's going to be more struggles with. That's going to be about lust and adultery and divorce. So buckle up for next week. But this week, we all can agree, you should not murder. Even someone that just has a little bit of morals is going to say, I understand that you should not murder. But look at what Jesus is going to do. He's going to get down to the heart of this law. And it's not just about murder, but it's about what causes someone to get into that situation. If you live in this country, and we all do, we get to see lots of things getting debated in this world. And one of the biggest debates that has happened and continues to happen is gun control, right? And some people say uh, we have the right to bear arms, and we do, it's in the Constitution. And some people say there needs to be more control over that, and this isn't a lesson about gun control. But if you ask a Texan, most Texans will say, guns don't kill people, people kill people, right? To a certain extent, that is a very true statement. It's not the object that is doing the killing, but it's the heart or the mental ability that is doing something so egregious. This is what Jesus is wanting us to understand, is we have got to fix what's causing the problem. I was looking uh, at some FBI statistics. Do you realize 53%, 53% of, of the murders in the United States are from family members or close friends. Over half of this egregious activity is done by someone that was close to you or someone you loved or someone that loved you. What in the world went wrong? What in the world happened? it probably didn't start that someone wanted to murder someone but something deep down in their heart turned these actions into the unthinkable and so paul tells us in ephesians what we need to do when we're angry in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, "In your anger, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold." What is Jesus saying here, or what is Paul saying here, to the Ephesian church and to us today? When you're angry, you've got to do something about it. You've got to solve this issue. And one of the things that we do is either we don't talk to the other person about what has happened and resolve it, seeking reconciliation. And we go and we, we start thinking about all the wrongs that they did us. And as that happens, we let that build up in us more and more and more. I have a preacher friend, he calls this uh, fortune-telling telling thinking. Anyone ever heard of this? This is what I struggle with all the time. When I'm angry, when someone's wronged me, at least in my thoughts, I go home and as I lay in bed at night, it takes me forever to get to sleep, and I replay what happened. How someone offended me, and then I start having this fortune-telling thinking, which is I have a confrontation with this person. I'm not seeking a reconciliation. Often I am telling them why I was right and they were wrong, and I am right all the time, right, in this thinking. And I have all the answers for why I'm right. And the anger builds and builds and builds. Does God say, don't get angry? No, he understands we're going to get angry sometimes. What God wants us to do is to deal with our anger in a healthy way. If you're upset with someone, we have the option that we're supposed to go to them and seek reconciliation or drop it altogether. But we're not supposed to go and let anger take hold of us because when anger takes hold of us, then we start escalating the issue. Something as simple as talking in a movie should not have ruined a friendship, right? We know that. Let's look at how Jesus shows the steps of what we do with our anger. In verse 22, he says, But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. So our Bible translates these Aramaic words into raka, which most people, most scholars would say that's probably a four-letter cuss word that they probably wouldn't put in the Bible. And then the other one is you fool, and that might not translate fully how Jesus is saying. But both of those two words, basically what they're, go- they're doing is, is they are saying the person that you are upset with is worthless. They are very strong words that Jesus is talking about, and he is saying, you are worthless. You mean nothing to me. I wouldn't care if you were gone. I wouldn't care if this relationship was over, because you are worthless. Well, what's the problem with saying that? When Jesus talks about fulfilling the law, what did that mean to fulfill the law? That he came to this earth, that he died for our sins, that he was risen, and those of us that put our faith in him, we also can be risen with him. Why would Jesus come to this earth? Why would he give up the splendor of heaven to come here? Why would he be willing to die for us? Because we are valued. We have worth. And those of us that are in Christ Jesus, those of us that have given our lives to Jesus, We have to view people like Jesus views them, meaning we view people with worth. And if we start telling people they're worthless, we're not fulfilling our part of the law, right? And Jesus is given this analogy that it's like going to court for for murder. He says, you're going to be found guilty. You're going to be found guilty of the courts and ultimately Your eternal life is going to be found guilty because you don't understand what Jesus did for you. But this is how anger often happens, right? We go in these stages and we see the person that we're angry with as worthless. And Jesus wants us to understand that's not how we deal with our anger. So I want you to think about how you get angry. All of us deal with anger in some ways. Some of us deal with it healthy. Some of us, we don't really know that that, that we're angry. And we have different types of anger. Some of us have what I like to call combustible anger, right? Anyone ever deal with road rage? I was a defensive driving instructor, and one hour of the six hours in defensive driving uh, that that I talked about was about road rage. People get killed because they were just driving in the car, and they uh, all of a sudden just have this combustible anger. And so I would tell my defensive driving class a few ways to combat road rage. The first thing we do is it says, you should drive in a clean car. Ever think about that? Do you have a clean car? I love having a clean car. Why do we have clean cars? Because clean cars make us less stressed, make us in a better mood. And so the first thing that I tell the people is, clean out your car, drive a clean car. Well, what does that mean to us in our lives? We also need to clean out our lives, right? Clean the sin and the clutter that's in our life. Get rid of it. And when struggles happen, We don't have to get so upset because our car is clean. Our lives are clean. We can deal with things a little bit better. Less stress in our life. Then I would say, be aware of the time you have. Leave early so you're not late because when you're late, anything that's going to slow you down is going to get you more agitated, going to get you angry. And so what do we do with that? We got to also not put ourselves in situations that are going to get us angry. Know what triggers you and avoid it if you can. Then I would say, listen to some soothing music. I like hard rock and roll, or uh, I, I, I did, but, but maybe that's not the best thing to listen to in, in the car if it's going to get me a little bit angry. So listen to soothing music that puts you in the right mood. And what does that say in our regular life? Fill ourselves with things that are good and peaceful and pure. And what are those things? Well, Paul refers to those as the fruits of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Those who belong to the Christ, or excuse me, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What Paul tells us in Galatians is, if you want to have a better life, if you want to not have so much anger in your life, fill yourself with these things, with peace and patience and kindness. And the more we fill ourselves with these things... When we get a little agitated with someone, and we will, that's going to help us deal with it in a healthy way. So what are healthy ways that we deal with our, with our anger? Most of it isn't just combustible anger. Most of it is kind of like I was talking about the fortune-telling thinking or a slow-burning anger that simmers in you. So Jesus tells us this, he says, therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift. If you understand who Jesus is talking to, he is up in Galilee, which is northern Israel. And if you have a gift that you're offering at the altar, where is that? That's down in Jerusalem. That's about 90 miles south. And they didn't have cars back then, so they walked all the way to Jerusalem with an animal. That was going to be their sacrifice. That's their gift on the altar. And Jesus is giving them a ridiculous statement. He is saying, if you have a problem with a brother or sister, before you come and sacrifice for whatever sins you've committed, go all the way back, 90 miles... Make up whatever issue that you have, reconcile, and then come back and then make your offering. A 180-mile voyage to make sure that you have reconciled. Have you made amends for the issues that you're having? What is Jesus saying? This seems ridiculous, but what he wants us to understand is how important it is. Before we even offer the sacrifice, how important it is for us to make sure we... Don't stay angry with our brothers and sisters. He wants us to understand how important the relationships that we have are. When we talk about the greatest commands, love God, love people, that's not just a catchy phrase, right? That is something that Jesus wants us to understand. If it means that you walk all the way up there and come all the way back, it's worth it. Relationships are worth it. They're not worth less.. I want you to understand that sometimes reconciliation is not going to happen the way we want it to happen. We might be doing everything right. We might be trying to do everything to, in order to be reconciled to that person and that person has no desire to reconcile with us. And I, would, I don't think Jesus is telling us this and I don't, wouldn't tell you to ever go and put yourself back in an abusive relationship. This isn't what he's talking about. What he does say is work on what works for you. If you're at fault, fix that. That's why he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. So look at what Jesus is telling them. It's, he understands not everyone wants peace. Not everyone wants reconciliation. And some people want to continue to abuse you, and God doesn't want you to be in that situation. God just wants you to, to do your part. And as far as it depends on you, live at peace with other people. Make those steps for reconciliation. But then also don't seek revenge. Let God take care of that. God's going to deal with those people that were unjust to you. What Jesus is talking about here isn't as much of what they're doing to you, but he's saying, what's going on in your heart? And look how he continues on with this court analogy. In verse 25 of Matthew 5, he says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you're still together on your way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. What do you think Jesus is saying here? He's using this courtroom analogy that you have wronged someone and you are going to pay the penalty for what you did to that person. He says, before you even go to court, settle it with them. If you were wrong, own up to it. Is this easy? No. (laughs) These are hard things because anger is an emotion that takes over. But what Jesus is telling us is, if you know you're wrong, admit it. Settle with the person so that you don't continue on down this route that allows you to continue burning in anger. This route that breaks up relationships. Jesus wants us to understand the relationships with your loved ones, with your family, with your spouse, with your friends are worth it. With your church family, it's worth it. And do your part to see where you were wrong in this. Because often if you think it through, like I think through my whole issue with my buddy Dave, there was a lot of things I could have changed. And each of you probably has a story like that. Probably didn't throw someone on the bed, but each of you have a, has a story like that. Where a relationship was broken that didn't have to be. So I want you to think this week. Who's someone you need to make amends with? Who's someone you need to reconcile with? Who is someone that you, you, you sit up late at night and you're just, you, you're just running the scenario through your head over and over with? Do something about it. It's not easy. And as I was planning this sermon, I had a lot of people thinking, well, do I really have to do that? Do I really need to call people? And I probably do. I know I do. One of the people we need to reconcile with is our God. And sin against our God causes separation. And we have a time where we can always come up and we can, we can uh, pray for you. But even if you don't come forward, I pray that in your heart with God that you reconcile whatever issues that you're having with him. If there's anything we can do for you, pray for you. If you want to give your life to Christ, be ultimately reconciled with him, you can be baptized into his death, raised in his resurrection. Or if there's anything else we can do, please come while we stand and sing.